And 99 times out of 10, those two silos aren't talking. And it seems so simple, but these uh, amusement parks, theme parks, they're just not set up that way. Finance, marketing, communications, uh, operations, uh, they're not talking to each other. And so making sense of this data, bringing it together and correlating it to say, well, this happened over here. So, well, look what happened over here. And what does that mean putting all this data together? So really that's our, our secret sauce, if you will, putting data together and making it make sense. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's fantastic. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Matt, question for you. Yes, sir. Would you travel across an entire theme park if you were able to get a dollar off a hot dog? What kind of hot dog is it? Um, ooh. <laughs> is it like a Chicago dog? Is it like a uh, Nathan's? Is it, you know... I'd say in Nathan's. Yeah. Traditional theme park, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think if I wasn't too hungry at the time and I could take the time to walk across, I might do that. Yeah. Or maybe if let's say you were walking by the hot dog stand and your phone pinged you with a dollar off hot dog, then I mean, you might realize that maybe you wanted a hot dog. That's right. Yeah. yeah. A little su suggestive selling. Yeah. There yeah. Go. yeah. Yeah. Why are we asking about hot dogs? Well, speaking of Nathan's hot dogs, ah. <laughs> we are going to chat with Nathan Jones today, and this is all going to tie in right here. He is the founder and CEO of EXP Maven, which I think is one of the coolest products, coolest companies out there, founded very recently, a company born in the pandemic that really helps drive guest experience by taking a lot of data sources together. And instead of looking backwards, which is what dashboards are able to do, and they're very effective at, at looking at historical data, they're really able to look at what's in the moment right now and what can we do, what suggestions can the system provide to be able to enhance the guest experience further. So the example that we just shared as far as being able to ping a guest for a dollar off a hot dog coupon is one of the many, many examples that Nathan will share with us about how to really have that full control over the guest experience in your entire operation. And what I love about the conversation is that he does talk about the overall, the whole experience, right? It's not just when you get into the queue or when you're buying a ticket and then when you leave the gift shop, that's not the experience. There's so many other things. And as he talks about, you know, some of those pinch points that we may not think are all that big of a deal, but when you put them all together, 
and you've got now, you know, a, a parent that is upset because of something that's happening with their child or, you know, they got ketchup all over the place or whatever it is. And then they get in line and they get to the front of the ride and it's broken down, whatever it is. Right. I mean, there's, there's little, little, little minor inconveniences that if you take just one of them, probably not a big deal, but you put them all together and it really has an impact, a quantifiable impact on the guest experience. And so it's really interesting to get to down to a really granular level in the conversation to focus on if we could do this and, and influence guest behavior um, and ultimately to enhance the guest experience, not to manipulate them into doing something that they wouldn't normally want to do, but something that provides them with what they're actually looking for. I think that's that's a really cool um, uh, thought process to to focus on the, the guest experience. And when I think about what he when he's kind of proposing, and I'm walking myself through a park, I'm like, like you said, would you go across the park for a dollar off hot dog? Maybe not across the park, but if it was right there, you know, and there was a there was a ping on my phone, like, hey, you know, hot dogs are right over here, or you know, it's really hot today it knows, you know, all the data tells you that it's 98 degrees today. And oh, by the way, here's lemonade and here's ice water and here's all this, you know, that can really enhance your experience. I also just love anytime we're doing a podcast episode and can use the word granular. <laughs> I think that it just has become one of my favorite words recently, probably over the last year, maybe two years or so. Uh, and really hearing Nathan talk about the very granular, very specific areas of guest experience and areas of operation that when you have that control over it, you see higher guest satisfaction, you see higher revenue, you see higher per cap, you just see better metrics all across the board. And there's even the employee tie-in too. We talk about dynamic staffing. We know that dynamic pricing has been a conversation for the last several years as far as being able to control your admission price to control your, your attendance and, and crowd flow as well. But hearing him talk about dynamic staffing and scheduling, I think adds another component, something that I don't know if you've ever thought of. I personally have never thought thought of or considered that to be uh, even a possibility in running an operation, especially in, in a theme park or a large venue. I think it's something that has been toyed with, you know, up in our mind, but I never would have known how to figure that out to make it work in a, in a real life setting. And it sounds like there's there's now... Um, technology in place that could could help us kind of figure that out. So uh, I'm super excited to get back to this conversation, talk to Nathan, and maybe even after this, go get a Nathan's hot dog. There you go. Hey, I'll send you a coupon for a dollar off. <laughs> I'm not coming to Chicago. <laughs> well, here is this great interview with Nathan Jones. Nathan Jones, founder and CEO of EXP Maven. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you doing, Nathan? I'm doing great. Thanks, guys. Been big fans of yours. So really excited to, uh, to talk with you guys. Everything Attractions here. Awesome. Well, thank you yeah. again for being here. So can you give us a little rundown of who Nathan Jones is and give us kind of your background? Sure, sure. Well, like most in the industry, I, I fell backwards into it. I mean, I, I fell in love with it. As a young boy growing up in Vancouver and going to Expo 86 and having the World's Fair at my doorstep was was an amazing thing. And the Scream Machine was was the roller coaster there, now relocated to, to St. Louis. So still still in the industry, that same roller coaster. Um, but I went to Expo 86 and just fell in love with the fact that there is a whole industry around this as a, as a young kid seeing this. And I was so excited to, to go back next year and you know apply for a job 
only to find out that World's Fairs aren't a, a regular occurrence on, in any one city. Uh, but flash forward a number of years and there was a job opening uh, looking for a construction manager. They needed someone to uh, actually construct and be on site worldwide to construct these large play structures for Whitewater. And so you needed construction experience and, you know, it had to be, in, be on site and, you know, convert metric to imperial and uh, all of these qualifications qualifications of which I had uh, none of. And so I went in and, and I like to say the only one more naive than me at the time was the hiring manager there at, at Whitewater. And so that began my journey into the industry in 1998 as construction manager with Whitewater. Uh, so that was, that was a tremendous introduction to the industry. And, and since then spent a lot of time with Whitewater and left there as vice president and went uh, over to Vacoma for a number of years as well and explored that side of the industry being roller coasters and very, very precise and highly engineered systems. That was, that was an amazing side of the industry that I had not been exposed to, but was very, very grateful to, to be part of the Vacoma team there while they installed uh, Disney Shanghai and the Tron coaster there. Uh, that was just phenomenal. Uh, and then I bookended uh, my career at Whitewater with by going back there in that time uh, over that course of four years, Whitewater had grown tremendously and we're looking for a president of their division to run their water rides division. So came on board there with Whitewater and, and spent a number of years there. And then most recently as COO at Cavu, uh, and Cavu being uh, one of the few companies again in Western Canada, but more importantly, an integrator in the industry. So a young startup, really hungry, but have already done some tremendous work, uh, whether that's Lionsgate uh, that they've just completed and, and won a Thea award for. Uh, but then I looked at the industry and like most in 2020, it was an interesting time to look at the industry and uh, figured it was time to hang my own shingle and uh, look at, I think, a component of it that really hasn't been explored yet. So I'm really excited for EXP Maven. Nathan, that's such an interesting uh, career background in history. Thank you for sharing that. I, I know we really want to get into EXP Maven, but before we do that, I'm curious if you can tell us uh, from, from balancing Vacoma and Whitewater, what are some of the differences that people might not necessarily think of in uh, when making water rides or making coasters? Yeah, I would say there's probably more similarities if you, if you think about it. Um, I mean, the highly engineered and the precisionness that goes into a water ride or water slide, the, the variances and the, the tolerances uh, that have to be uh, calculated and engineered into these are, are almost inconceivable. So both companies run simulations to know exactly what's going to happen, whether it's the weight distribution in a car or the weight distribution in a water ride or a water slide. Uh, so that was very unique. I would say one thing with Whitewater being vertically integrated, they were involved right from the beginning, typically on jobs from concept right through into installation. And so having exposure from someone literally coming to IAPA and having a blank sheet or maybe a set of site plans and starting with our architects and designers to draw and bubble sketch that out uh, was a, really a great experience because now you follow this oftentimes over the course of years uh, until this was completed to see a, a project all the way through. So for, for me, Whitewater, that integration, that vertical integration, where now they had to take it from concept to engineer it, to now design it, manufacture it, procurement, a global procurement team, deliver it and install it, uh, was is, is something and think continues to be fairly unique in the industry as well. 
Nathan, can we go back just a little bit to um, when you went to get a job and found out that the World's Fair wasn't going to be there that year? Um, what was it that drew you back? Like, what was it that that you know you said, "I want to be a part of this"? I, I think it was just eye-opening to again at that young age in, in '86, just to think that people had jobs in doing this. I mean, again, my worldview at that time had not been on an airplane and not been more than 100 kilometers, but the fact that people's jobs were to entertain and to amuse and to have families come together to me was was foreign you might as well told me people were living on mars at that time because uh i just i couldn't believe that this was an, an actual career path that you could take and that that stuck with me so i was in 86 i'll date myself i suppose i was eight at the time so young boy but uh, the first chance I got to jump into this industry and certainly uh, serendipity played a, a role being Whitewater located in Vancouver and one of the dominant uh, industry manufacturers uh, certainly played a role as well. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a good point. If you can't work for the World's Fair, might as well work for one of the top manufacturers in <laughs> the industry. So nice how, how that was able to come together. Uh, but mm -hmm. so let's talk a little bit about, about EXP Maven, but specifically, I would say the entrepreneurship component of it. 2020, of course, uh, you know, we saw so many people switch careers, leave careers. Uh, I, I've even said like, it seems like the entire industry was put in a blender in, in some cases. Uh, mm -hmm. What was the reason for wanting to start a business during really such a tumultuous time. Yeah, I, I certainly, I, I use that tongue in cheek in terms of starting a business in, in 2021 is, is uh, perhaps not the best time to do that. But really when you look at it, specifically our industry, I mean, we've been cut down to, to bare bones. People are trying to do more with less, uh, lean and mean. I mean, really now is the time that I'm finding virtually every owner operator is introspective and in looking at themselves to say, okay, what do we really have here? What, what is it, our core essence? What is our business? Not many are out there shopping for a 20 and $30 million roller coaster, say for a select few, of course, and that will come back. It's not to say that'll ever change, but in terms of the timing today, uh, there's a real need there to, to say, okay, the, the good times are gone. We need to scale down. We need to look at our operations, our efficiencies, and really see what we have here to, to get better so that when we do scale up, uh, we know what we're doing. We know what we have. And so, Nathan, what would you say is the driving force behind EXP Maven? And how does it differ from you know, some of the other companies you've worked with? Sure. Well, looking for me, the, the light bulb went on because talking with a lot of these owner operators, uh, it's not for lack of, of data, although we're data analytics and, and sort of really an, an AI team that comes together and uses all this data. It's not for lack of data. Everyone's collecting data. Any owner operator could tell you how many hot dogs they sold yesterday and, and how many people were through the gate. That's, that's not the issue. The issue is in, in 99 out of 100 times, Finance will be looking at per caps and they'll say, great, per caps are going up and they're high-fiving, accountants are happy and that's great. But you'll look at something like net promoter score or customer satisfaction and surveys and they're going in the other direction. Hmm. And 99 times out of 10, those two silos aren't talking. And it seems so simple, but these uh, amusement parks, theme parks, they're just not set up that way. Finance, marketing, communications, uh, operations, uh, they're not talking to each other. And so making sense of this data, bringing it together and correlating it to say, 
well, this happened over here. So, well, look what happened over here. And what does that mean putting all this data together? So really that's our, our secret sauce, if you will, putting data together and making it make sense. Yeah. There's a term that, uh, that I've seen a lot recently and uh, it's vanity metrics. And it's that people will people will use uh, you know maybe something like like per cap or something, and say that this is the driving force. This is the one thing that we need to look at. Uh, what are some of the the metrics or some of some of the data that people think are they're finding a lot of useful information from? But it turns out it might just be vanity metrics that are making them look better than maybe they actually are performing. Yeah, it's not necessarily making look better. It is what, what you're doing with that data and what, how you're interpreting it as well. And so vanity metrics or dashboards, boy, the dashboard industry has done tremendous work in the last number of years selling dashboards to people. And that's great. I, I certainly don't want to diminish the usefulness of it, but dashboards are backwards looking. They're telling you what you did yesterday. It's not telling you what you should do tomorrow or, or more so what you could do or what your customers want to do tomorrow as well. Uh, a quick example would be, as everyone knows, any outdoor park, the attendance is going to diminish dependent on the weather. Uh, if it gets too hot or if it's overcast or rainy, and there's historic, historical data. So again, it's not for lack of data, but what do you do with operations? Are you still calling in 100% of your staff or do you have dynamic staffing? We've heard of dynamic pricing. What about dynamic operations and staffing as well? So you're not bringing in everybody at the same time knowing that you're going to be down 25% because it's raining today. Yeah. You know, one of the things I saw on your website talked about, um, you know, we've been built on the premise of choosing what type of attractions rather than understanding the right type of guest experience. So I'm wondering if you can dig a little deeper into that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so coming up through the industry, I, I felt confined by saying, well, here's the experience. And as it says on the website, doesn't start in the queue line and end in the gift shop. That, is an experience. And again, I'm not diminishing the fact that, uh, and sometimes it's a, a fantastic experience, but we're fooling ourselves to think that that is the only experience that our guests have, whether it's starting online and purchasing a ticket or starting as they line up. And so you, you start to talk to people about things like signage and wayfinding, uh, shade structure, restrooms, change tables, stroller parking. And, and at that point, people typically go, oh, you know, really? Is, is this really where we're going? What we have to talk about? But then, but then you share the story about the parent that has a toddler and they're trying to eat at the restaurant and they can't. Their toddler's screaming because the sun is streaming into their eyes and they're way too hot. There's no shade structure. And then the toddler needs to go to the restroom and they try to find way, way finding and signage. It's not very explicit where the restrooms are. They're trying to find a restroom. There's not enough room for the stroller to park the stroller. They get in the restroom. There's not a change table. I mean, you tell the story and people go, oh, that's a terrible experience. And I say, yeah, exactly. That, that is an experience. So you, it's a culmination of all these micro transactions and micro experiences that we, we need to start paying attention to. It's not just about building grandiose structures and attractions. It is about everything else around that as well. And then take it the next step. How do you quantify that? So if it's sunny out and there's no shade structure, yeah, it's not the worst experience, but it's not a great experience. But now how do we start actually quantifying that and, and putting that into to AI? And that's where it really starts taking on real valuable and, and meaningful information. 
That's exciting stuff. And, and I think it, it really ties in nicely with what you said of per caps are going up, but guest service scores are going down and saying, mm -hmm. okay, well now let's look at what are those, those micro details of the experience. And maybe it is signage, maybe it is, there's not enough shade, particularly on a sunny day. So how do you use that data and then turn it into that forward thinking um, type of mindset to be able mm -hmm. to help understand what it is that your guests do want to be able to fix those issues? For sure. Well, one of the proof of concepts that we're working on is, is heat distribution. So looking at heat distribution of a park. So putting within these parks hundreds of different heat sensors. So you can test the ambient temperature and get the ambient temperature for a very precise area within a park. And so you take all this information, it's all Wi-Fi, you're not running extension cords or anything. The technology's there and it's getting cheaper and cheaper by the day. So you, you take that information and go, okay, well, what, what am I going to do with, with heat distribution? And it tells you a couple things, critical things. One, heat distribution tells you typically where people and humans are congregating. They're going to they're gonna have create more heat. And so therefore, you know where typically people are congregating. Two, you're going to know about energy usage or, or non-usage. So is that air conditioning unit working in that queue line? Or are those misters that you've put out there and you're pumping water through, are they actually working? Are, are people around there? Is it cooling off that area? And then that's only from an operational standpoint. So maybe at a certain time of day, that lemonade cart shouldn't be up on the north side. It should be on the southeast side because the sun's there and, and it's a cooling wind at the, at the north side. And that's, so that's one data point purely from an operational side. Now you, you flip it on the other side and you say, well, in the hands of a guest, would this be valuable? And, and the answers I'm getting back are, well, yeah, it wouldn't be great to grab an ice cream cone and literally look at a heat map, a literal heat map of the park to say, yeah, if we go over there, that's a nice, cool spot. We can enjoy a sandwich. We can sit down. This is going to drive operations to say, well, instead of a park bench here that eight hours out of the day, the sun is, is you know, pounding on and being very hot. Why don't we, it's inherently cool here because of the northwesterly winds or whatever the case may be, or the shadow from the castle. Why don't we put a nice quiet area here? And so if you look at just, again, one this one data point being heat distribution, it's very unique. You get so many different areas that it can touch. And so we're playing around with that and then overlaying that with say decibel levels. And so now as a guest, I, I can look at a cool, quiet spot to go rest, to make a phone call. Uh, if the young mother is breastfeeding her child, she needs to find a spot. If the teenage son has autism, they're looking for a quiet spot as well. Um, if you just wanna to go to a place and make a phone call or eat a sandwich, again, this is information that guests actually find valuable and might not be that inherent just because you put a signpost in a park bench that says rest area or, or you know, sit down here, doesn't mean your guests like it. Mm -hmm. And so playing with these variables and, and what this information input is, I think those are a couple of examples of real actionable items that you can take afterwards. That's really fascinating. And when you started talking about the heat um, uh, dynamics and I started picturing little um, cool air jets coming out of the pavement, you know, sure. if, if we know that that's a really hot spot, you know, doing that, right. that would probably warm up too quickly. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm curious too, Nathan, because some of the things I think you're talking about can be designed in, right? If you're building a brand new facility, certainly you can take a look at where the sun is during the day and, and kind of figure that thing, those things out. But what about an existing facility where there's a lot of structure already in place um, and you're looking at the heat map, you're looking at you know, other factors. How do you kind of retrofit all of that into a, a space that's currently already there? 
Yeah, and that's interesting where I, I really launched DXB Maven. I, I associated that with greenfield projects, possibly with owner operators that didn't have experience to really, so they could gain this knowledge and implement it at the design or conceptual stage. What I'm finding is even in the last four or five weeks, uh, it's flipped. It's actually 80-20. 80% of the people I'm talking to are existing, in some cases, fairly large you know, organizations, amusement and theme park owners uh, that have this data and are looking to, to track and implement it. Again, it's not for most of these parks, a lack of data. It's really just how they're using it or how they're looking at it as well. Heat distribution is not a typical one that they would have as an example, but boy, you overlay heat distribution with per caps on the lemonade stand or you know the ice cream wheeled cart. There's probably a correlation there. I'm going to surmise a guess, um, but I think they can get a lot uh, better at it in terms of dynamic and real-time decisions uh, that they can make. That's that's the point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what are the ways to be able to integrate these new systems into exis existing venues as well? Yeah, and so the, the outcomes, we call the experiential matrix as well. And so not every change is going to, you know, move the meter as much in terms of the experience. We we talked about the shade structure as one versus the the ambient temperature as as another. So um, really, it's up to the owner operator. We can only bring them there in terms of the information we can provide and say, look, the guest experience here it's time driven because in the afternoon it's either way too hot, way too crowded, the queue lines are are too um, are too long, and this is another thing that. I'll get back to your question. One of the other findings as well is, would you spend more time in a queue line? Let's say the average time for a queue line is 45 minutes. Would you spend an hour, uh, an hour plus in that queue line if the ambient temperature was eight degrees lower? Hmm. Conversely, would you spend you know less time if it was more hot? So putting that information, now these dynamic fast passes, now you can put that decision in, in, the, in the guests' hands as well. And so they're not waiting in a hot lineup that curls all the way outside. Maybe you're pushing every type of customer that likes shade in a cooler sort of environment to one time as well. And so there's a lot of uh, interesting outcomes that you can have that aren't necessarily operator driven, they can be guest driven. Give that information to your guests and they'll tell you exactly what they want. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe people say, I'll line up for this ride if it's hundred degrees or 65 degrees, but let's try it. And that's part of sort of proof of concept as well. How do you get that to your guests? Is it all mobile? Is it on an app? What's the, the way of being able to deliver that way in a way that they're able to consume that easily, make that decision of I'm gonna go over here and not have it interrupt their day otherwise? Yeah, inherently or undoubtedly, it's all moving towards what you're holding in your hand or in your back pocket or in your purse in terms of a mobile app. Uh, we even, we've seen Disney even move away from the wristband activated um, uh, activations on their wristband. So I think on an app makes the most sense. Uh, anecdotally, I'm one of the uh, people, millions of people that have been locked down uh, during 2020. My mother-in-law moved from a flip phone that she's had for years and years and never had any reason to, cha to change to an iPhone for the sole reason that she could stay connected, she could FaceTime. And these are, these are the, this is the stickiness I think that we're gonna see. It's not as though when things open back up, she's gonna return her iPhone, she loves it. She probably, she can't live without it now, right? <laughs> and so I think a lot of these barriers that people said, well, not everyone has a phone or not everyone has a smartphone or an iPhone or an Android, 
I think a lot of those barriers are, are at least diminishing over time. So to answer your question, yeah, app driven, I think is certainly the way that it's going to go in terms of this information um, right in the palm of their hand. Absolutely. Nathan, I'm curious, and this may be a bit of a rabbit hole uh, in terms of the things that you're looking at from a data standpoint, but um, is this something that could be used to kind of control guest flow through a facility a little bit? You know, you talked about wayfinding and signs earlier, uh, you know, um, and especially right now with physical distancing, we want to keep people apart. Uh, but even when that hopefully goes away, you know, from a guest experience standpoint, it'd probably be good to have people more spread out throughout a facility and not all crowding in one area. You know, Harry Potter, everybody goes to Harry Potter first, unless you know that everybody else is doing that. And then you go to the Hulk because, you know, you, you know to go the opposite direction. Um, right. But I'm wondering if that's one of the, one of the benefits that you could use to kind of control the, the crowd dis distribution. Yeah, absolutely. And it's already happening now, except we've only we've only seen a, a very small sliver of that in, in dynamic uh, e-tickets and, and e-passes in terms of sign up for this time and it's virtual queuing and come back at this time. Uh, well, what if we expanded that? What if you had a certain concentration of people, but to, to disperse them, if you will, uh, it's a dollar off face painting and all of a sudden you get people dispersing there or it's, you know, a dollar fifty now for um, hot dogs and was $2, you know, an hour before. And so we can control the psycho psychology behind it. We can control where human patterns and where people want to go further. The demographic data is so much more granular now. Um, you could receive one that's maybe for hot dogs. Maybe I receive one that's for, you know, frosted, um, deep fried Oreos because they know that's what I like. And I've bought six of them since the last time I was there. So, um, I, I think, it's just going to get that much more granular. Think of it what you want in terms of data and how it's being used, but it's already there. And, and I think as owner operators, why not use it and leverage it uh, to the best advantage for the guest experience as well? These, this is the end goal is to make sure that your guests have a good experience. Yeah. This is, and I say that in all the best of ways, this is like manipulation of the guest experience. This is like like the the person playing roller coaster tycoon using the pincers to kind of just move people around, right? That's the first thing that right. I think of. Uh, mm -hmm. Being able to have that level of control is able to substantially make things more efficient, right, throughout the operation, right. enhance the guest experience because there's a cheaper hot dog over here and maybe a shorter line over here. I've got to imagine that, that there, there are so many things that can be layered onto this to continually make improvements of it. Dispatch a character over here because it's, because it's crowded or because it's less crowded and staff the, the photo team member with it there and photo sales are able to go up because it's able to increase their capture rate. Uh, you mentioned something earlier about dynamic staffing too. So talk a, a little bit more about that and how that works its way into, into this as well. Yeah, so the, the example I used there was, was more weather related. So knowing inherently once the weather gets too hot or, or knowing that once it's either overcast or more so raining, you're going to have a drop in, in attendance at your park. And so many of the times um, either labor is associated with, well, we're going to come in irrespective of what the weather is because that's my job. Well, what if you had a dynamic staff? A lot of them are part-time and a lot of them would be flexible with these hours to say, hey, you're, you're coming in, but we don't have a lot of work for you anyways. But if you're on this dynamic staffing, maybe get paid a bit more, but in the long run, 
it's actually um, better for the operator because you're not having someone come in and stand around and really not doing much. And so that dynamic operations and staffing is hugely, massively powerful, especially out of Vancouver as well. You know, you'd think we'd be used to rain by now, but it's not the case. It starts raining and everyone goes away in droves. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my days as a manager and my dynamic staffing was don't come in. It's raining. You know I mean? That's, mm-hmm. that was, that was what it was. Um, yeah. Be, it would be great to be able to, to predict that a little bit better. Um, I want to take sort of maybe a devil's advocate view of this just a little bit because sure. the things that I'm hearing are great from an operator standpoint. You know, you're looking at the data and you can, you can really, as Josh says, almost drive the guest experience. And, you know, if we can increase the guest satisfaction and the per cap, well, then, then we're doing great. But then there's the other side of me that's a fan, that's a, that's a, a park goer. And I just like to meander. I just like to, you know, experience the park as it comes. I don't want to schedule every little thing. Like a lot of people talked about fast pass and you have to schedule it six months in advance and things like that. So would you envision this still being able to have sort of that impromptu feel and, and not such a scheduled feel um, from a guest perspective so that they can still experience the park in a, in a very um, natural and nonchalant way? I, I think you have to. I think that that sense, you never want to lose that sense of discovery coming around the corner and seeing something novel or new uh, that you didn't expect. The last thing you want to your point is at 8.33, we have to be here. And at 9.02, we have to be there. That's not the case. You want it so natural and organic that it, it's actually guiding them without knowing that they're being guided. Oh, actually, I do feel like a hot dog. I'm glad they pinged me. And it's, you know, it's 11.47, it's close to noon. So lo and behold, people are hungry. I mean, so yeah, the, the purpose is for it to, to be a, a gentle nudge in terms of the invisible hand, but certainly not to be structured. And by the way, not necessary as well. If you simply don't want to, you know, opt in, if you will, then, then you do that. But I, I would say as a society, we're moving more and more towards the convenience part and really having that experience uh, curated for, for us as individuals as, and as families. People are looking for those experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was something you mentioned earlier when talking about the staffing component as it relates to weather. And I can imagine you can do that as it relates to, to crowd as volumes of attendance might be fluctuating or shifting in one direction or another. And uh, the way that you describe that as far as, you know, maybe incentivizing staff members to, to come in, are you suggesting that what we've been doing with dynamic pricing and offering certain promotions during lower season and increasing prices during high volumes of visitation to spread out and have, have the most efficient guest experience from a crowd standpoint, that you can implement a similar system into compensation for your employees as well? Yeah. And my answer is, why not? Why, why shouldn't we be able to do that? If you're working more or if you're more flexible, then that dynamic, you know, compensation will come in. A lot of times we're, we're dealing with part-time either students or young people just getting into their careers. So they have that flexibility. It's not about taking advantage or not advantage. In fact, we're talking about increasing their pay over and above um, because of that flexibility. But in the long run, you can have, you know, two flexible people that kind of trade off sort of their time versus four, I'll call them full-time, part-time people that come in all the time, irrespective of what the park's operations and attendance needs are. So yeah, I, I think it I think there is a future there from a labor force perspective. And you can see those are that's one of the rabbit holes you can certainly go down. But I, I mean in terms of effectiveness and return on investment could be one of the, the larger ones as well. 
Yeah. And, you know, labor being one of the biggest um, components that people have in terms of, of what they're paying out, that could really, even though you might be paying a little bit more for that differential, you know, ultimately, I would imagine based on the ebb and flow of the business, you'd be saving uh, money and, and time uh, over the yes. long run, I would think. Um, yeah. So a lot of these ideas and a lot of these, um, these thoughts, um, I can see why you're on the Blue Loop top 50 influencers, influencers list for, for theme parks. So uh, Nathan, first of all, congratulations on that. It's wonderful to, uh, to have someone of your stature with us. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of how that came about and what that, uh, that recognition means to you? Sure. I mean, it, it, I mean, first of all, yeah, seeing, uh, as like everyone else in the industry, um, seeing that list come out is, is great. Cause you, you like to go down the list and say, well, I know that person. And, oh, I worked on that project. So seeing myself on, on that list was under other worldly, certainly for me. And, uh, I will say clearly that list has not been in the Jones household when the Netflix films are being chosen, uh, for the weekend, because I'm not even a top six influencer in my own house. So being on that list is, uh, <laughs> been phenomenal, but, uh, yeah, a lot of folks on, on that list are, are colleagues like Francine Gonzalez and, and who I, I like to call uh, a friend as well. Um, but it's amazing being recognized. There's there's certainly a shift, and I don't know when it happened, but from sort of being in the audience and looking at panel and discussions to now being on panels and leading and, and moderating. Um, but I've enjoyed it. I, I continue to to be enthusiastic about the industry, and I, I think that list is just a reflection of people that are enthused about the industry. And and I would hope to be um, a good ambassador overall for the industry. Love it. What do you think were some of the the building blocks that led to that? If you were to to unpack that and kind of say, well, maybe it was it was volunteering for this, or uh, you know, overseeing this, or contributing this, uh, in terms of reflecting on that and maybe wanting to give advice to those out there, not to say for for people who just want to be recognized for an award, but for people who sure. want to make sure that they are doing those contributions that may lead to an award or what that award is based on. What would you say? Yeah, I would say giving back and, and whether that's through volunteerism, through a, a structured organi organization or just being a mentor to, to individuals. So getting involved in things like my alma mater and, and Cornell and their theme park um, contest or uh, volunteering for the TEA. Um, those things are important and they're important to the extent that, yeah, there are people that simply volunteer because they've updated their LinkedIn and now they can say they're a board member or a committee member, but actually contributing and volunteering for the sake of giving back, uh, I think is key. And, and I think that's recognized. If you look at anyone on that 50 list, you'll recognize them for their volunteerism, whether it's technical or safety or, or otherwise. So for me, that's a big component and, and important to me. Um, the, without a doubt, I'm, I'm where I'm at because of other people that helped me that didn't have to just out of their kindness of mentorship. And it's a bit surreal going full circle in terms of 1986 and, and that World's Fair, people that worked on it are you know, Jim Pattison Sr. or uh, Keith James from JRA or one of the original founders of Forex worked. I mean, people that I work with now day to day as well and, and call my friends uh, coming full circle were on that project and worked in on 1986. Very cool. Nathan, can you tell us a little bit more about your work with TEA? Um, we've had a lot of folks on the on the podcast that do a lot of work with IAPA, but not as mm -hmm. much with TEA. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, TEA is the Themed Entertainment Association. And uh, 
just over 20 years, um, 25 years now uh, since its inception and really started out as, as colleagues, colleagues getting together to say, hey, we, we should be recognized for the work that we've been doing. Um, you know, a lot of work go into these multi-million and now multi-billion dollar projects. And there's not a whole lot of recognition for that work that goes into it. So really that was that was the start of the TEA. Uh, my involvement started as a Western board and, and serving there, uh, now sit on the international board and the executive committee. And as of late last year, we just started a new initiative and that's the diversity committee with the TEA as well. Tell us more about the, the launch of the diversity committee. Yeah, so that was an initiative that we, we took on last year in terms of formalizing and crystallizing a, a committee. We, we've had a longstanding um, sort of uh, interaction and communication at the TA, but formalizing diversity and making sure inclusion and, and equity is part of that solution going forward was, was very important. Uh, our SAIT uh, events, uh, which are put on annually. Our last one in Seattle was all about diversity. That was the theme of the SAIT event. And so uh, for the TEA, it was important that um, a lot of the work was not only recognized, but going forward, we are better as an organization. I don't think there's any one person or organization that says, yeah, I'm you know, diversity and I'm colorblind and everything's fine throughout the world. There's a lot of um, feedback that this is just a U.S. centric sort of a challenge, but that's not the case. This is a worldwide um, challenge that we all have to face. The TEA is not going to change it. The committee won't change it, but we're going to contribute in a positive way, not only for the world, but for the industry and the TEA at large to make sure that representation is there. When you look across and, and, and at the panels, at the speakers, even at communications and how things are branded on the website, on, on emails uh, for our industry, we could do a lot better. And that's part of where we wanna give, give people guidance. Overall, it's been very positive, not even overall, overwhelmingly, it's been very, very positive. Everyone kind of, they're awkward conversations. When you talk about diversity, it's, it, it can be awkward, but people are receptive, certainly in the TA, very receptive to talking about that and embracing it. So I'm really happy about the work that's been done. That's great. And I love when you talk about representation, right? To show people that all walks of life, right? Are, are needed to make mm -hmm. this, this industry thrive. Um, I'm also curious from a design standpoint, are those thoughts that you think of when you're, when you're theming a new attraction or, you know, even going back to your, your talk about the, the heat areas and things like that and, and really appealing to every different demographic that might be out there. Is that also part of that thought process? Absolutely. And, and whether that's demographic or age group, I mean, yeah, the heat distribution at three feet is a, a whole lot different than it is at six feet. And well, you're, you're kind of nullifying 50% of your uh, attendees if you're not paying attention to things like that. And again, that's just that one, one metric, but absolutely from a design standpoint, imagery standpoint, um, those are things that uh, people are now in tune with and are just, again, looking, I believe, for just that guidance to say, yeah, that looks great, but let's not forget about, you know, people that are coming from here, whether it's socio-economical backgrounds or different demographics, uh, different languages that can be used on signage, wayfinding. So these are all things that we just need to take into consideration and are, are being done in parks today. Nathan, can you share as far as when it comes to diversity and inclusion, 
where are we at right now today compared to where we need to be? And really what's that gap that needs to be filled that people out there might not recognize as, as quickly or, or as easily that it, it might be misconceptions in terms of people who have very positive intentions, but there might be areas or like I said, gaps that need to be filled. Yeah, I think it's just exactly that. It's representation across the board, whether it's more uh, women in the industry, more people of color, um, you know, having these conversations and going, yeah, as a young person, when I was coming up into the industry and walking into a boardroom of 20, 25 people and being the only person of color, uh, I noticed that. I know the other 25 people didn't, and it wasn't because they were malicious or there was some something untowards, but at the same time, it needs to be recognized that um, there's not a lot of mentors out there that are people of color or, or recognized as women. We need to start elevating these people to say, yeah, there is a path for you in this industry. It's amazing going to my kids' schools over the years and explaining to them, you know, whether it's water parks or roller coasters, what 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 dad does, and kids are just they're astounded and amazed. And I and I recall my astounding um, experience at Expo 86. Um, for kids of color, it's not even on their radar. I mean, they can't even conceive of this as, as an industry or career for them because there's, there's not, there isn't representation for them to look at to say, yeah, I can do that. And same goes for uh, women as well. So I think that's important. What, where we get to, um, yeah, it's hard for me. I mean, I'm not the expert on it. I'm just trying to better the TEA on it. Uh, and our mantra is really just to to uh, constantly improve, just to get better in small ways, whether, again, it's on our imagery and our website, or whether we're recognizing through awards um, to really celebrate diversity. Uh, we just want to get better. Yeah, I think those baby steps are really critical, right? As long as you're taking them forward, and Josh knows a little bit about baby steps because he just had a baby. Uh, but He's not taking <laughs> steps yet. <laughs> I have to mention it in every podcast. Yeah. Um, but it's those baby steps, I think, as long as you're moving forward and you're progressing and you're making a positive, positive difference, I think that's fantastic. Um, can you talk about what your message is to young professionals that are coming into the into the workforce, whether it's, you know, to pursue a, a certain path or, you know, get a certain mentor or whatever it is, like what, what is your what is your kind of overall message to young professionals? Uh, grind and hustle. And so uh, what I mean by that, everyone wants to be an Imagineer and that's great and fantastic. And I think a good place to start, but there's so many other uh, areas in our, in, we are an industry, we are businesses. Every business needs an accountant. Every business needs HR. And so when we talk about diversity, it's also diversity of vocation as well. What people can do within the, you don't have to just be a creative or an engineer to be in this industry. There's so many different avenues to get there. And, and so the, the hustle and grind part is do what you're good at. You're, everyone's good at something. Do it over and over and over again and get really great at that. Um, and then in your spare time, kind of do what you like to do, tinker around and, and do that, but just get really good at that. Spend the endless and countless hours that it takes to, to get great at that. And again, whether that's an accountant, an engineer, or an artist, and then find your way. Everyone's always looking for good people in, in their field. So if you're really good at that, don't pretend uh, to be something that that you're not. And, and that's speaking from a non-creative and non-engineer. So I lived and breathed that walking that fine line 
uh, in between those two and, and knowing how to translate between each other because a lot of time, and I'll overgeneralize, of course, but creative and engineer sometimes don't see eye to eye on, on conceptual or design detail. And so knowing how to kind of walk between those two worlds is, is critically important. It's really good advice. Thank you for mm -hmm. sharing that. Uh, what if you weren't in this industry? What do you think that you would be doing? Where do you think your career path would have taken you? Uh, I, I'd love to be grandiose and say, you know, an uh, architect of some sort, to, you know, um, but I, I think something to do with people serving in terms of giving back and architect in terms of architectural and, and providing uh, places where people escape to or go to or live in or work in, um, something, something along those lines. But again, not professing to be able to draw a straight line very, very well. Uh, <laughs> took me out of that running very, very, very early on in my career. So you wouldn't be playing baseball? Uh, no, again, uh, I can hit a baseball uh, and run uh, somewhat fast, but certainly not to the extent of MLB. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Well, Nathan, this has been a, a fascinating uh, conversation. And again, we could go in those rabbit holes you know, all day long, uh, but I wanna give you an opportunity to kind of tell people where to find you. So if they were to look you up or try to find more information about you or your company, where would you send them? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter, EXP Maven, or at EXP Maven, just how, how it's spelt. Uh, LinkedIn, Nathan Jones, or EXP Maven on LinkedIn, or the website is expmaven.com. So all the information is there. And again, happy to reach out. And that that is uh, a genuine uh, offer out there as well. Uh, speak to and mentor on a regular basis, um, uh, on a structured basis, um, people just coming into the industry, whether they're at a university or college or people that have switched careers. Or again, if you just want to talk uh, baseball and uh, the glory years of the Blue Jays in 1992 or 93, happy to do that as well. <laughs> that's a real niche audience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fairly narrow band. The Venn diagram okay. focal point. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Like Matt said, uh, you know, this has been uh, just such an interesting conversation. Uh, do you have any final message or words of wisdom for our audience? Yeah, I, I think like most, we're coming out of this. 2021 does look bright, and um, I, I truly believe that we're, we're going to come out of this. I don't know. I won't profess to say that it's going to be good, bad, or indifferent, but there is a need for what we do uh, in the world. This industry is critical. That human connection, those family experiences, uh, these are critical things that, that we're doing. Uh, we're, we're certainly not first uh, you know, responders or anything of that nature, but when people wanna get away and escape the world that we live in and the worlds that we create, we design, we operate, we own, um, these are gonna be vastly, vastly critical uh, in the very new future as we're opening up. So keep going, keep grinding and keep hustling. Very good. A great message to end on. So Nathan, thank you so much for your time today. And for everybody watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.